Welcome to The Deciders. This is Renee Frazier, founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading woman-owned and led advertising and communications firm in Southern California. We handle the Talk, Read, Sing campaign for First Five California that many of you have seen and heard and have been working closely with the Department of Public Health messages around vaccinations and COVID-19. Happy to be of service as we develop content that makes the world a better place with communications. But the show, The Deciders, is an opportunity to feature leaders, change agents, people who can share their stories and insights to help businesses grow, also to help companies do a better job of impacting their communities and the climate. On The Deciders, we explore women who have been successful. And today we're going to be talking with a woman CEO who I admire very much. We've also been talking about climate change. And this summer, it's more evident than ever that climate change is real, that humans have caused it. And shame on us if we don't make change happen. Uh, there was a piece in the New York Times this, this weekend uh, in uh, uh, September from young people saying, what's wrong with you? We know that climate change is a serious problem and we have to impact it now. Well, my guest today is doing that. Her name is Lauren Groper, a woman who did more than think about it. She created a company called Repurpose to tackle pollution and try to help eliminate the plastic waste that's choking our planet. Lauren, welcome to The Deciders. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Glad to have you and talk more about how you've been trying to eliminate plastic waste for a while. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, plants over plastic, as I believe you talk about on your website. But uh, tell me how you created this new company to begin with. How did you get started? So it was a long journey. I had always been very passionate about sustainability from you know my teenage years. And I ended up studying environmental studies in college. So it was always, it was always something that was very uh, interesting to me and something I was very passionate about. But I didn't really know kind of what part of you know, sustainability I wanted to get involved in. And back when I was, um, you know, studying this stuff, there weren't that many sustainability jobs. I mean, it just wasn't really on the radar in the same way that it is today. Um, but I was pretty determined to do something in the field. And so I ended up actually studying sustainable design and architecture. So working to make buildings and cities more sustainable. And what that really meant was, you know, changing the way that we we built our skyscrapers, our hotels, our airports. How could we do it in a much more sustainable way and use better materials and better technology and better um, engineering systems to have less of an impact on the environment and on climate change? So that was where I really spent most of my time in my early career. I ended up coming to Los Angeles just over 10 years ago to do kind of that, basically sustainable design, but for sets set building and set design. And it was on those sets that I actually could see firsthand how much was being used in the way of plastic everyday waste. So plastic water bottles and forks and spoons and plates and all the stuff that we were using every day, all day. It really felt like, you know, this is not sustainable. This is not something that um, makes a lot of sense to me. Right. Right. And but also it was an interesting challenge and an interesting kind of like spark for the business because the challenge on a film set is it has to be disposable. It wasn't like, let's just stop using this guys and move to something reusable, which is just 
kind of the direction your mind goes into what we all should be doing as humans is really should be looking to just cut it out completely. But I think some industries and in some instances, you just, you, you need disposable. And so we had to think through the problem of, okay, the problem is all this disposable plastic waste, but we need disposable. So what materials can we use that may have a lighter footprint or that may, you know, that may degrade more quickly than plastic, which lasts forever. Right. And I see a lot of people we've talked to several companies that have used plant-based uh, materials to produce cleaning products and mm -hmm. other things. Yep. How did you go about finding the right materials, plant-based materials? And then tell me about the products you started with. Sure. So when we looked into what the technology could be to replace this plastic, the plant-based plastics were kind of in their infancy. So this was something that essentially was using the same kind of building blocks that petroleum plastic does from a, from a chemistry point of view that would then create plastic, but instead of being from petroleum, it was from plants. So that was one. And then instead of being around forever, it would degrade within 120 days because it is made from plants. So that was really appealing to me. It, initially, when the idea came about, I, I was talking to a lot of people about it. You know, I have this idea and doing a lot of research and met someone um, based in Los Angeles who's Taiwanese American and still is with us today as a partner, uh, Brian Chung. His family, you know, his, you know, generations had been involved in the production of plant-based plastics because Taiwan was about 10 years ahead of the U.S. Wow, I did not they know. Out, yeah, they outlawed single-use plastics in 2006. So they made a bunch of switches, you know, well before we started repurposing and had already been using and working with this technology. So that is really kind of the beginning building blocks as to how we got access to these products. It was through... Brian's family um, that we were able to test the products and work with them and, and redesign some of them. And those were the first products that we brought to the U.S. to really, you know, under the name Repurpose. Under um, the name Repurpose. And how did you get them purchased by people and used? And where did you go from a distribution point of view and a selling into companies? And when was that? Well, this is the chain and then to, to anyone listening who is interested in starting a business. It's so hard when you first start to figure out where you're going to sell. Like in our case, we could make anything. We could make, if you think of plastic, it's huge. You know, you can make anything. You can make a car part. You can make, you know, you know makeup cases. It's like, where do you even start? And, and where do you focus? Because you only have so many hours in the day and it's so difficult to do anything that, you know, we really had to focus on what area. And the Taiwanese group were already doing a lot of work in this sort of like food service and replacing the, the forks and the knives and the, the, the one-time use. Like, and to right. me, that was an area that I wanted to impact because, you know, it does not make sense to use something for five minutes and then have and, a And there's so much of it, right? It's so prevalent. It's right. unnecessary. So how can we look at, you know, that was, that was to me a nice area of focus and we could always expand from there. but. So then it was, okay, do we attack, you know, the big institutions like colleges and university campuses and like the Google campuses and go there? Um, that was definitely one area. And we kind of went down that road a little bit. But as we started down that road, it became clear that, you know, these contracts for these products were, were deep. They, they had had, you know, uh, competitors of ours that weren't even using plant-based, but, you know, years deep. and 
it was very difficult to penetrate in that way. Mm. Even though people were sort of starting to be interested in, in more sustainable products, it wasn't like they, they did cost more, to be frank. They did cost more yes. at the time. And so, people, you know, these, some of these bigger customers, if it costs more, they're using so much, there's so much volume that it ends up being, you know, millions or billions of dollars. To dollars. So it's, it's a big deal. Hard so, to make a trade-off. Hard to make a trade-off. Hard. You've got to yeah. convince them. But, you know, it seems to me a place where they could advertise or promote themselves as being well, great. Right. This is, I mean, what our thought was always like, okay, what if we sold to a Starbucks or something? Why can't they just charge 10 cents more right. and say this is something sustainable? But that actually allowed us to really pivot and focus on um, people at home, users at home. So when we started, there was literally nobody making products for people to use at home. Like if you were having a barbecue or a party or a baby shower, what have you, you had to use plastic. And at the time, this was 10 years ago, people were starting to buy organic produce. They were using, uh, you know, plant-based green cleaning. They were, they were thinking about ways to kind of take the toxins out of their home and make their home more sustainable. So then naturally you would think they would want to extend that into this area, but they couldn't because there was nothing available. And so that to us was kind of this interesting white space. You know, it's such a big industry. You, you, I mean, it's actually kind of disheartening when you learn how many pieces of plastic are sold every year. It's, you know, for parties and things like that. It is, it is disheartening, but that seemed like a really interesting area to focus on because nobody was doing it. And at first we were like, well, is nobody doing it because it doesn't make sense or (laughs) (laughs) actually an opportunity here. And it was tough. I mean, those first few years, you know, we, we got traction. We definitely got into, so we would, our, we would sell through to, um, it's called wholesale. Basically you sell to a retailer, like a Walmart or a Target right. and then puts it on the shelf and sells it to the consumer. Right. So it's basically a brick and mortar, you know, that's, we're going wholesale brick and mortar. And at the time, kind of like DTC and Amazon, well, Amazon was already going, but like to have your own DTC store, people definitely had brands like that, but it's not where it is today. Not even close. So our, our method was really, let's go into these big box stores and get our product out to as many people as we can. And we don't just want to be, you know, this niche product that's at a natural store, natural foods or a whole food, whatever. We want to be everywhere. We want to be mass. We want to be everywhere. So we really had to work on an attractive price point and figuring out how we could compete and convincing all these, you know, they're called buyers the decision makers to put it on the shelf, why it should exist when they're already making a ton of money on styrofoam. Right. It was hard. It was a really tough sort of like uphill battle in those early days just to get them, you know, that effort was all about how do we get them to understand that this is actually, that there's an audience and that there's a market for this because they didn't believe there was. Now it's totally different. It's like, now it's accepted. Yeah. Right. You know, now it's for this. Yeah. Right. We've got the audience. So how innovative can you get? Um, so it's totally shifted. But yeah, those early days, it was so hard to actually get that big wide distribution. It you know, from a, from an outside point of view, I'm a, I run an advertising and a marketing firm. So I have to ask the question, how did you create awareness for the products once they were in the stores? I mean, you can do things in the stores and then they you know, have flyers and website oh. content. But we, also- didn't really, we didn't have a budget for anything outside of the store, to be honest. It was all in store. But I think we were lucky in that the, the conversation around 
you know, plastic and plastic is bad for you was happening all around us. So that education was kind of, we didn't have to pay for that. <laughs> that was, that was huge. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think one of the lessons for uh, early entrepreneurs to take away is sometimes you're ahead of the curve, but don't yeah. give up, right? Keep pushing it. And if you're really onto something that's a trend like you were, and it's an important reality, uh, which is the, the serious nature of how we pollute our world and how bad plastic is, it may come up in the zeitgeist so that it'll help move you forward. But so often when you're ahead of the trend, it feels like you're hitting your head against the wall. Yeah, absolutely. You've yeah, got to stay calm. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you want to be ahead, but not too far ahead. And it's, it was a challenge. You just, there's all these unforeseen costs that you end up having to invest in, in the awareness play. You know, luckily, like I said, we did it in, in the way that we probably, you know, if that sort of what was happening in the zeitgeist wasn't happening, we would have had to. So. Well, in, in your case, too. So it was utensils and plates, uh, cups. What came next in, for repurpose? So we were primarily focused on on what we could, that's called tableware. That's and what we were looking the way we looked at it is kind of what are the biggest sellers on the shelf at Target? Like what is moving? What are people buying all the time? And they're buying plates all the time. They're buying cups all the time. They're buying the color all the time. Guess what else they're buying all the time? Trash bags, garbage bags. <laughs> put all that stuff yeah, in. Exactly. Right. So. And we could make a garbage bag that was compostable. And so that was the next sort of area. And what we always look at is, okay, what is the next area that is kind of related enough so that people aren't in their mind thinking, well, why would I, you know, that brand's all about like forks. Why would I buy laundry detergent from them? You know, so yes, <laughs> yes. You know, staying within the realm of possibility, but also expanding the brand as much as possible because with with the brand like repurpose and the name repurpose there are a lot of ways you can go i think and and a lot of expansion to be had so we always look at okay like where would if you what we want our customer to trust us and trust that we've done the diligence and we're doing the work to give you the best product in the category and that we're not bouncing around just because it's an opportunity so but trash bags was one that we knew we could make really well and have a great product and that it would be within the same kind of sphere. There's limits to the technology that you sort of, unfortunately, we would love to make, you know, everything under the sun, but our brand, we stand for quality. And so we don't want to have, you know. Good for you. No, I think that's important. The quality and the reliability of the product, that it really does the job. It's got to be durable. Yeah, makes so much sense. So can people order these products off your website? Yeah, so repurpose.com. We're actually revamping our website as we speak. It will launch middle of September. And also we are available on Amazon. So you can get them online. Um, you also can get them on target.com or walmart.com. They're pretty much, you know, available everywhere. I love that. I love the fact that you got so broad. I, I read that you kept over 3 million pounds of waste out of landfills as Thank a result. You. Yeah, that is right. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> impressed. And the plant fibers, tell me about the plant fibers, where they come from, what kind of plants? So part of what we do is really just using plant fibers. And part of it, as I mentioned, is kind of the plant chemistry. Um, the fibers are used to create what we call molded fiber products, which are plates in our bowls. And we use upcycled sugar cane, which means what the sugar industry does is they use the juice from sugar cane. And then typically the stock is burned or thrown away or what have you. So we, we use the stock of that sugar cane. It's a waste product. 
and we grind it up and that becomes the fiber base of our, our plates and molds. That's great. Uh, I mean, truly yeah. plant-based. And, and where are these done? Where, is, where are the products made? So we produce currently in Taiwan um, and we are actually currently evaluating a number of facilities in the U.S. And so that's something that is, has been a work in progress for a while and it's going to take some time, but looking to bring this to the U.S. Be good then though you weren't shipping. Right, the products and absolutely you know, mm-hmm. that's another uh, contributor, of course, to pollution and to uh, CO two. So you're really trying to do everything you can vertically integrated to be able to keep it minimal. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I love the fact that um, uh, you've been able to innovate on uh, the plastics, uh, the Ziploc sandwich bags. All of you use those. When are those going to be available? Those are going to be available in the new year. So we're still finalizing right now. So not until till 2022. But we'll have those. And then along with that is um, cling wrap. So plant-based cling wrap. So alternative to the plastic wrap. Um, As well as coming out actually even sooner, coming out in September when we relaunch the website is um, Forest Stewardship Council certified bamboo toilet paper and paper towel. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So that's an area that, yeah. You know, I have, I know, Lauren, you have uh, little kids and I bet, wouldn't it be nice 20 years from now when they're buying products for their own homes, that they, they think you didn't use plastic, you use plastic base, you didn't use plant-based, that it's the norm, right? Rather than something it more. Will be. It very much will be. I mean, we're seeing legislation that is changing the landscape happening today. And I think it's only going to increase, but for example, like foam containers have been kind of displaced in in many localities, not everywhere, but many, many municipalities across the U.S. And I think as this sort of environmental issue and climate change becomes more top of mind for more people, which it already is, but even more, I think we'll see. I mean, everything is going to be going this way. I'm really glad to hear it. Now, Lauren, when you we talked a little bit as an entrepreneur, how hard it was in the beginning. Yeah. Funding. Yeah. Funding is also an issue, right? Um, you need to get yeah. investments in your company to afford marketing and advertising to get more sales staff <clears throat> to meet with the buyers to sell in the products. How did you manage funding? We had a number of different investors in the early days, so we did we did a pretty traditional route. I mean, we did friends and family that got us going uh, definitely in the early days, and we had some wonderful investors from that group that kind of continued to support us which was a lifesaver, quite frankly, like if we hadn't had them, we would not be here today. Um, And then we got to the point where we were, and we were using angel groups and things like that. And then um, I think we got to the point maybe four or five years ago where we'd kind of hit this growth stride and really wanted to bring in more significant capital to kind of realize that growth. And so we brought in institutional investors like VCs and family offices um, and then from there, we've done sort of subsequent rounds with them to bring them in. But it's always a challenge because a- as a growing company, you always need money, and especially if you have a, a physical product. Yeah, it's the the more you grow, the more money you need. So <laughs> for product, right, you have to <laughs> just to be very obvious. You have to you have to have the equipment. You have to buy the the raw materials. You have to pre- produce the product. Then you ship it, then you get it on the shelf, and then finally the money comes back, right? So there's right. a lot of upfront investment and capital needed. And right. as you grow, 
So what can, what's really helpful, I think, for entrepreneurs is that if you can shorten that cycle and, and maybe borrow money while you're waiting to get paid, yeah. <laughs> that helps because then not, there's more money coming in than going out and you're not always out before the money comes back. So just, yeah, managing cash flow is always a big challenge as you grow. Right. You also should get a credit line, right? Yeah, Based on absolutely. Your absolutely. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. And get it, get it when you're healthy and strong, not when you yes. absolutely have to have it. That's right. actually my advice for fundraising too. You know, go out when you're healthy and strong, not when you absolutely need it. Now, how about growing your team, Lauren? Uh, did you start this yourself and then identify people? Tell us a little about, about the team at the beginning and how you've grown your team. So no, I did not uh, start myself. I definitely had uh, an incredible team around me. We started small. There was three or four of us, two, you know, two, then three, then four. And we were kind of a core team of four or five for a long time in those early days. And everybody did everything. And, you know, it was really this, this core team that took us to the level that we are. Like it, it takes a special type of person, I think, to say, hey, I'm going to leave my whatever other job that paid me a decent salary, work for no money because I believe in this vision and really like, and hustle more than I ever have. I mean, it's a pretty special individual. It is. So we were blessed with having some wonderful people on the team that are, you know, co-founders and partners and what have you. Um, But as, as you grow, you kind of want to bring in people that have been there, done that, you know, if you can afford them. (laughs) Can always afford them, but yeah, that have done it, and so or have you know seen seen the path, so that they know what's coming. Um, so if we haven't been able to bring someone on the team that actually has been there, done that, and and work full time, we have a ton of advisors and board members that have you know started, run, and exited successful companies. And so I think that's super important to have those people around you that have done it, have been there before, that can lead the way. Yes. There's so many unforeseen challenges. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how many balls that are juggling at the same time. And yes. And things that come up that you never expected. I mean, obviously recessions and pandemics and yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, that's been huge. Just having a great team. You know, I think it's important, uh, Lauren, that you said you don't do it by yourself. Some of the entrepreneurs I meet, you know, feel like they've got to do it all on their own. And and the reality is to be a finance person, a good marketing person, a good research and all the same people. <laughs> can't, can't have all those roles, right? Operations. You need people around you. And I suspect in your case, it's because they wanted to impact climate change. They really saw the devas- the bad things that the plastic was causing. So you could draw people because of your why, the why yeah. you were doing yeah. that. I think well, that's why everybody works so hard and, and why they are attracted to working with us, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, we feel, not to be cheesy, but we definitely feel, you know, this purpose, repurpose, but we feel a purpose in doing what we're doing and that every day we get to make a positive impact. So, you know, it's, it definitely feels good to go to work. I'm glad to hear that. I, I do the same thing. I feel the same way and talk with my employees about it. I used to be pretty quiet about it, but now it seems to be the right thing to talk about your why, to be willing to celebrate the fact that you're making a change in the world. In our case, we're communicating to people about vaccinations, uh, getting people to not use methamphetamine. I mean, and, and uh, t- getting parents to talk, read and sing, even when their children are two, three months old, because the brain is developing at such a fast pace. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you're having a, an impact. And we get most of our feedback through social media. 
Do you get that as well about people we saying, do. I discovered your repurposed products? We do. We absolutely do. It's, it's huge. It's amazing to get the feedback that we do. And even as we start to launch these new products, we put it out, you know, what do you guys think of this or that? And it's amazing what people, you know, you get, you get answers very quickly. Well, I think it's a great way to do new product innovation, right? Oh, like you yeah. said, things people want, the sandwich bags, the clear wrap. Totally. I'm really glad you're using um, social media just as an active engagement tool. And I'm sure you've got great followers. So it's repurpose.com, right? People could go to the website. Repurpose.com and Insta and Facebook is at repurpose. Got it. Got it. And because uh, I did go to repurpose and I found another site that would help me calculate my carbon footprint. Oh, well, that's good, too. <laughs> that's good, too. And it was actually really interesting to see how much I produce which led me to your site to buy some products because I want to reduce. So we're working in the same. In circle. The same yeah. <laughs> Tell me uh, one last piece of advice you'd like to give to entrepreneurs, people who've got that idea. They're starting to pursue it. What, what would you recommend? What would you tell folks from your success? Well, I think it's something you touched on earlier, which is just don't give up. It's there's so many times where you just want to throw in the towel <laughs> and and I think it's going to be challenging no matter what, but the persistence is what, you know, when you look at sort of who's been successful and who hasn't, it's the people that have, you know, hung in there and been persistent and, and really, you know, battled it out. So don't give up. Don't give up. I love that advice. I think it's important, especially in today's environment. You know, there's so many things that can be thrown at you uh, and uh, you don't take it personally, right? It's just, yeah. you're going to get up each day and do it especially if you have a really strong reason why. I think it's a, it guides you and it gives you solace. And congratulations on your success. I'm really cool. pleased to be able to talk to you. This has been great. Thank you so much. This has been an interview with uh, Lauren Broker, who's head of Repurpose. And I love the products. Lauren, thanks for being on the show. Thanks again for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening and spending time with us on The Deciders with Renee Frazier. We cover lots of interesting facts, information about today's world, and insights and stories from wonderful entrepreneurs like Lauren. You can hear our podcast anytime at our website at FraserCommunications.com. And Fraser Communications is a full-service advertising marketing firm with digital and social first. Contact us at FraserCommunications.com if you want to learn more. We'll be back next week on The Deciders with Renee Frazier. Have a wonderful week ahead.